the Totally Football Show. Midweek drama for you today. There's Chelsea's three-all free-for-all with Roma, a Roman side against a Roman side, Edin against Edin. No wonder it finished even. Plus there's Liverpool, aside from the Mersey, showing none away at Maribor. We've got all the midweek news and round of fixtures dominated by Premier League sides, as this weekend will probably be as well, as Liverpool travel to Spurs and Watford visit Chelsea. Interesting fixtures all. Elsewhere, there's a national surge in Shakespeare wordplay as Leicester tell their manager he's barred. The West Brom draw, his final act, Leicester not happy with his play, bringing the curtain down before they had a verse performance. All of that plus drama as the FA discovers that it's 2017. It's the Totally Football Show. Wow, everybody, a really top lineup for today's show. And thank goodness, because we've got big stories to handle. Capable hands... In the, in the shape of Michael Cox. Hello, James. Hi, Michael. Big midweek of action, wasn't it? Yeah, really good midweek for the English teams in particular. That's so true. James Horncastle, you were across some of the key matches on our goal show thing. Literally across them. Right. Yeah. And a similar story for you, Julian Laurent. Hello. Yes, Great, great to have you two Thank you. in with your continental expertise. But as you say, Michael... It's the Premier League clubs who really laid down a bit of a marker there. All five leading their groups at this midway stage of the group stage. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and from this situation, you'd be surprised if we didn't get three or maybe four even into the um, into the quarterfinals, you know, because they'll get a good draw for the uh, second round, it looks like. And also this week, they were in general up against quite good opposition. Spurs away at Real Madrid. Um, City with a fantastic performance, certainly in the first half hour against Napoli. Um, and then Chelsea against Roma. I think Chelsea actually struggled more than the other teams. Um, but a point keeps them top of the group and in charge of the group. So they're all in very good shape. Yeah, Jimmy Armstrong says, does anyone really care about the Champions League group stages? Competition only gets interesting at the knockout stage. Not a Liverpool fan, I'm guessing, Jimmy. <laughs> but it's good. I mean, it starts now if you... You know, it starts in the in the last season if you make it, because Spurs right. last season, for example, didn't even make it to the last 16. So it's one thing to say, OK, the real competition starts then but you have to make it first and it's not always that easy to make it especially if you have a group like Chelsea's group where you know at the beginning you would have said oh even Spurs group yeah two very very difficult group it's easier for United and Liverpool but for the others it was not a given that they would you know qualify for the last 16. Well it wasn't a given for Liverpool either away at Slovenia in fact Bangladesh FC says I think the pod needs to ask David Priest how he feels about the nil-nil draw that he predicted for that Liverpool game. Liverpool, to be fair to David, coming into this, a fixture on a, a soggy foreign pitch on the back of a, a record that ran one win in eight. What happened on Tuesday night? Maribor was just dreadful. Oh. And I think Liverpool were doing what Maribor allowed them to do, which is giving them so much space that when you have the players they have with Firmino, Coutinho and Salah, just the three of them, and you give them all that space, they take it and then they punish you. But how... I mean, I don't know. Their manager was saying afterwards that they were bad. They were more than bad. But also, they were completely set up in the wrong way to play even at home against that kind of Liverpool, you know, attacking line, if you want. And it was completely stupid from start to finish. Everything everything was wrong. Although I like Emre Chan in the, um, in the holding defensive mm. midfield role, uh, more than Jordan Henderson, I have to say. Uh, and there might not be a future for Chan there because I think Henderson being the captain and, and Klopp came and will come back to that position. But I really like Chan there. What did you think, Michael? <laughs> Maribor were incredibly bad, incredibly open in midfield. I think the positive from Liverpool, uh, from Liverpool's perspective, is the fact that uh, Firmino scored two goals. They were kind of classic centre-forward goals. A near-post header, a real poacher's goal. He could have had a third, but Salah 
got there just before him. And I think they do need that from Firmino. He's very good at linking play. I do think he's a better option than Sturridge, for example. But you do need goals. Liverpool haven't been scoring enough goals. Um, and part of it is the fact that he's not a natural centre-forward. But the more goals he scores like that, the less it will be a problem. You just wonder whether they've used up their kind of goal tally in one game, whereas, you know, they've been underscoring recently. Well, they had plenty in the bank, didn't they? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what's left over for this weekend when on, is it Sunday, they yes. go to Wembley to take on Spurs, who had a quietly brilliant time of it themselves on Tuesday at Real Madrid. George, you were across this match, I was you? indeed, yeah. What did, you, what did you make of Spurs going to the Bernabeu without four first-teamers? I know Real Madrid had some absences as well, but... A lot of people billing this as a bit of a test for Pochettino and Tottenham before. If so, they passed it? They passed it. It's a great point for them. I was, I'm was, i still a bit unsure about the tactic that Pochettino used for that game. You know, the Laurentic, Harry Kane, sort of two up front. Um, I mean, it, it worked because they got a point, but they also considered loads of chances. And Hugo Lloris or Hugo Boss, uh, as I saw a headline on Wednesday, I think, put it nicely. <laughs> Because I thought it was outstanding in that game. And, you know, the one save, especially the one on Karim Benzema's header, was something else. So I think they rode their luck a little bit mm. and they scored with an own goal. Although Kane had a big chance, Ericsson had a big chance as well. Arguably Spurs could have had a penalty as well. Maybe, although I'm not so sure on that okay. one on Llorente. But, but I think psychologically, in terms of the confidence, momentum, going away to, to Real Madrid and, and still, you know, get a point like that, like you yeah. said, with a few players missing still... Was, was very interesting for them, I think. Yeah, but certainly when you look at, for example, what happened last time they went to Real Madrid, although that was a while ago, I mean, the net difference in, in terms of the attitude and the expectations, I think it was 4-0 they lost that night. It was, although they did get a man sent off very early. That's true. Um, so it, w- it wasn't a disastrous performance. I thought the um, I thought the really encouraging thing for Spurs was the performance of Harry Winks, who, um, you know, lots of people criticised him or criticised the fact he got called up to the England side, having only started three or four Premier League games. Um, but he was outstanding there against the European champions, probably the best midfield in Europe. He's a good passer of the ball, but the thing I like about him is he knows how to receive passes as well. He uses his body well. Um, he holds off players despite the fact he doesn't look particularly strong. You know, he's not a, he's not actually brittle. He's very good at that. And there was a, a move in the second half when, in the space of four seconds, he checked over his shoulder four times before he got the ball. And it's the basics, but it's the basics in the most intimidating kind of atmosphere against high pressure, against really good midfield. And that's why he was so comfortable on the ball, because he receives the ball properly. Magnificent. Do you expect that Lorente move to be dusted off on, on other occasions, for example, this weekend, in the absence of Deli Alley? Uh, probably not this weekend, just because I think they'll be playing against a relatively aggressive team and they'll want speed in behind. But it's the kind of move that you would expect them to use in home games. I mean, they did bring him on in that Burnley game they didn't win, which was the right situation for him, but it, didn't re- it looked like Spurs didn't really know what they were doing with him at that point. Um, but yeah, in those home games, I think it'd be very useful, Lorenzo. He's, he's he's great in the air, obviously, but he's also good at linking play. Mm. All in all, very unspursy, which must be so boring for Tottenham. Now that they're finally consistently good, people still find a way to mention that. But anyway, they're now six points clear of Dortmund, uh, with Real Madrid, of course, uh, likely to go through with them to the last 16. Dortmund who only, and you're referencing games that you might expect teams to sail through, but they, they went to Cyprus and only managed a, a 1-1 draw yeah. against Apple Nicosia. Apple 
as we mentioned on Tuesday, turning out to be a bit of a banana skin. Yeah. Turns out they're not rotten to the core. Oof. Yeah. Anyway, um, what do you think then? This game Sunday, Julianne. Oh no, you just started eating a muffin. <laughs> no, I think let's just. Sorry, uh, James. Uh, Spurs haven't beaten Liverpool since November 2012. No, Frank, po- that's a run of ten games. Yeah, Pochettino's never beaten them. They're his bogey what? team, um, and you can maybe understand that whilst he was at Southampton because they just basically kept nicking his players. But oh. uh, Spurs, it's it's not that it's not the case. When they played in February, the major difference maker in this game was, was Sadio Mane, um, who got both goals. He'll obviously be absent. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be curious because, you know, we've seen Spurs um, be better, I think, away from home um, than at home um, uh, th- this season. So, you know, whether they can actually, again, sort of take the confidence from what their last game there from Bournemouth and, and think they finally finally got this kind of thing over there, uh, over their heads, I think we'll have to see. But. The injury list is thinning out for Spurs. Dembele apparently could be available for this. Rose was, Danny Rose was on the bench in Madrid. He came, he on, came, on. He came on. Oh, he actually yeah. came on, did he? Yeah. Right, sorry. Yeah. Okay. He got a nice round of applause from Spurs fans. Well, that's nice. Yeah, which you, know, you might not think he would after no. he criticised the club. And I had to Google him. I had forgotten who he was. did you know Michael that Klopp's record at Wembley is almost as bad as Tottenham's he lost the Champions League final there with uh, Dortmund and also a League Cup final against City in 2015 interesting that is interesting I think this is a good game to kind of track Liverpool's progress since Klopp took over actually because his first game was almost exactly two years ago was at White Hart Lane Mm. it was a 0-0 draw and it was a game where both teams were just so focused on pressing and it was so frantic and they didn't have much in the final third in terms of combination play Obviously, Liverpool are a better team than when Klopp took over. And I think people can take for granted how bad Liverpool were really in that kind of first couple of months of that season with Rodgers. Klopp's done a very good job. But I'm still not quite convinced by that combination play in the final third. I'm, I'm not sure they um, are breaking down deep defences. This weekend is against a high defence uh, where they can use the pace of Salah. Obviously, Mane's out, which is a great shame. Um, but if, if they're kind of still having problems scoring in this game, then I think you have to say... There is something lacking from uh, from Liverpool in the final third because it's not a deep defence. It's the kind of team probably they want to play against where they can play high-tempo football and go in behind. Mm. Really, one of the standout fixtures. Another of them, potentially, is the game coming up at Stamford Bridge, the early fixture on Saturday, which will see Watford uh, visiting that Chelsea side that on Wednesday shared six goals with Roma. We'll talk about that after this. Running a small business is hard. It can take weeks to set up a meeting with the bank who will then charge all sorts of fees for their business services. But Tide is different. It's a new nimble banking service which will save small businesses like yours time and money. It takes just three minutes to get started with Tide and you'll get a UK sort code and account number and a company MasterCard. Tide also provides automated bookkeeping and an invoice assistant and it works seamlessly with all major accounting software like Xero, Sage and QuickBooks. So head to Tide.co and enter the promo code TOTALLY to get six months of free money transfers. After that, your account becomes pay-as-you-go. There are no monthly fees ever. That's Tide.co and the promo code TOTALLY. Tide, the current account your business deserves. That Roma game then. 3-3 it ended. A fixture whose intensity perhaps best summed up by the Italian commentator... At this the moment when, with Chelsea 2-0 up, 63 minutes gone, Edin Dzeko lashes a volley home. Dzeko 
Wow, James. How about that for a goal? <laughs> yeah, Di Francesco, the Roma manager, was talking about this afterwards, saying it was uh, Van Basten-esque. Mm. Although, um, I would say that the goal that Van Basten scored against the Soviet Union was uh, was from a more acute angle, different kind of... Massively so, yeah. This, to me, this goal reminded me of the kind of goal that Conte's team score with a Bonucci ball over the top. And we saw that you know, very often, even in the Euros against Belgium. It wasn't a, a volley home, but just spectacular, not least because... Not only was the, the volley from Dzeko brilliant, but the pass was from Federico Fazio. Yeah, not Bonucci. <laughs> not Bonucci. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, thoroughly deserved um, from, from, from Roma, I thought, who caused, caused Chelsea all kinds of problems. Oisin Parsons asking, what's the best volleyed goal ever? I think you might have already answered that with you know, Michael Van Basten, 88. Hard to look past that one. Have you got... Zidane. Oh, yeah. Okay, fair point. Van Basten was in, on his right foot as well. Zidane mm. is the left and Dzeko is the left, which is the wrong foot. Oh, well, that's impressive. So, this impressive comeback from uh, Roma, that, the, the seeds of that were always there right from the start. Yeah, without doubt. Um, yeah, they were playing most of, of the game, in, in fact, in, in Chelsea's half. Um, I thought that their game plan um, was, was really smart. And also, I think Chelsea will say, look, we've got players out injured. But if you look at what Di Francesco did, he rotated his team. De Rossi was on the bench. Florenzi was on the bench. There were, there were players like Gerson, um, who'd been a flop, for example, since he joined the club, who played and did, did okay. Um, so in that respect, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily have expected the performance, certainly not the, the domination. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the, the papers in Italy um, this morning, um, one of the headlines is, we were we were the boss of this game, and that's the point. And no, no one really would have expected that. But no, a worrying trend as well, because of course Man City won there. Then they lost at Crystal Palace. Now they've thrown away a two-goal lead against a, a couple of Man City rejects. Yeah, and Conte afterwards was talking on Italian TV, saying that you know, Luis came off with a what looked like a groin injury. Um, Bakayoko was right. complaining of a, uh, a muscle complaint, an adductor muscle thing. So again, Moses is out with his hamstring. Yeah. Conte still. Mm. So things piling up. Yeah, I think it was really concerning for Chelsea how poor they were playing out from the back. Roma uh, were really brave in terms of their pressing. You know, I really didn't expect them to be quite so bold. And I think Chelsea seemed quite surprised by that. And you look at the team that Chelsea were playing, essentially had six defenders in it, you know, with Luis and with Zappacosta as the wing back rather than Moses. And there wasn't really anyone who was putting their foot on the ball and, and just calming the play down. And I thought Luis had... The worst game I've seen him play since he came back to Chelsea. Even despite that goal, the despite, Well, that's the funny thing. Chelsea were really lucky to be 1-0 up. And it was entirely unfitting that Luis got the goal because he was absolutely dreadful. You know, he's, he's completely changed his game since he went back to Chelsea by being calm, by sitting behind the centre-backs, kind of waiting for play to unfold. Whereas this time, he was always uh, looking to get tight to his opponents. But Roma were playing 4-3-3. They didn't have a number 10, so he had no one to get tight to. So he was herring out of position, uh, getting caught ahead of the ball, which then exposed the centre-backs. And even Azpilicueta, who's such a good defender, looked really uncomfortable having to... Yeah, having to to cover space. And... um, yeah, it, it, I mean, the one consolation for Chelsea is that Conte was so honest and said the system didn't work. He identified, essentially identified Luiz as the problem. Luiz had a bit of a problem with his uh, groin, I think, and yeah. was substituted, but also looked really annoyed to be substituted, yeah. suggesting he could have carried on. Mm. And I think Conte just saw that and thought, we, need, mean, to, we need to change things. You're right, because, I mean, Luiz's goal essentially comes from a Luiz misplaced pass. <laughs> yeah, he, tries exactly. to, he tries to rifle it into the box and it gets blocked and it comes back to him. So And also... That kind of goal, it's a lovely goal. Mm. It looks lovely. 
I don't think technically that's that difficult when the ball's coming back and you can just whip it and you can use the axis to get the spin on it. Um, it was a really bad performance. I've from seen Luis. you score those goals many a time. Mike. That is a <laughs> yeah. cock score if everyone's seen yeah. one. Worth underlining how important this is for Roma, not just for the group, but for the fact it was against Antonio Conte. A man who's kind of cut him and he bleeds Juventus. Oh, and and also if you think that um, uh, what in two of uh, of Conte's years at the, uh, at uh, Juventus, well, particularly the final one, um, his main title rival was that Roma team mm. um, that won their first ten games in a row. So um, yeah, he he has imposed. He's, he's got some quite heartache from Roma fans. Di Francesco, Roma manager, who's had a tricky start, mm. is still unbeaten since joining the Gialarossi away from home. Jules. <laughs> No, I just wanted to say the positive for Chelsea is the two goals scored by, by Hazard. We no. charred the first two of his season, uh, which would be very good for, for, his, uh, for his confidence, obviously, but, but also, like James was saying, for his relationship with Alvaro Morata. Even if the first goal is a shot by Morata that's deflected into Hazard's path and then he, it's, a, it's a quite of an easy finish, but it's a good header for the second and, and that would be good for him. Right, and the other positive for Chelsea is the fact that Atletico Madrid couldn't get past a, a goalless draw in Carabag, which is great news for both Roma and Chelsea in terms of the hopes of getting through yeah, to the last 16. Performance by Carabag on what was Azerbaijani Independence Day. And did yep. you know they were down to 10 men? Yes, you did, because you, you saw it. There was yeah. a start, I, th- I think, I, when I watched the game, after 70 minutes, where Carabag had made more successful passes than Atletico. Really? And I know, you know, I know obviously, it's a long journey, and it's maybe not a game you want to play, blah, the blah, blah. Fire. It is. <laughs> But Atletico were that bad that Carabag actually passed the ball more than them. Just one uh, thing on that Chelsea-Roma game that I thought oh, was yeah. interesting was um, Roma didn't have any Italian players. They left out De Rossi and Florenzi. I wonder whether there was some kind of psychological thing with the fact Conte had worked with them for Italy. You know, maybe... It was very uh, complimentary of them before the game. In fact, that was yeah. seen to be the focus of, of much of the the pre-match press conference that he had but um, yeah it was almost the two ex-Premier League players playing in a Premier League mm. context who were their best players not only Jekyll but Kolarov was the man of the match Kolarov got the better of Zapikosta over and over again brilliant for the goal that got them back into the game and also the delivery for for Jekyll's second goal so mm. basically uh, Premier League rejects uh, beating Serie A rejects yeah Fazio yeah. Kolarov yeah, yeah uh, Jekyll on the one side, then you had Zappacosta and Rudiger and various others. Yeah. And then, curious, eh? Uh, what about this game early Saturday then? Could Watford? Yeah, of course they can. Yeah. I thought they were really, really bad against Arsenal though last weekend. Despite, they were bad. despite winning, I yeah. thought they were bad for 70 minutes, 75 mm. minutes, and that Arsenal just gave them the win, basically, gifted them the win. All right. I just thought they were that bad and they would have to be much better, but they've been much better away from home than at right. home, I think, this season. And I really trust Marco Silva to, you know, to to put a good plan together to against. Bring some cojones to the game. Will he start? Will he start? Uh, testicular football's uh, Troy Deeney. <laughs> I think there's a very good chance he will. Actually, um, I completely agree with Jules. I was at the Watford game last weekend, and um, I thought Gray up front. I mean, he was up against Mertesacker, and he's a forward who has speed and nothing else. And he couldn't really influence the game despite being against Mertesacker. And uh, yeah, I thought Dini completely changed Watford's approach. I'd like to see Watford play him, probably get him up against Azpilicueta, who's a very good defender, but I'm not sure is you know, up for those kind of traditional centre-back battles. I think it's also interesting in terms of Watford's approach because they completely changed their system uh, to go through at the back against Arsenal. 
um, and matched their system. Obviously, Chelsea threw at the back as well. But Watford were much better when they switched to back four. And I'd quite like to see them go for a back four, maybe press high up the pitch. Against Arsenal, they were really sitting off, really sitting deep. And uh, with the extra rest that they've had compared to Chelsea a whole week on the training ground to mm. kind of perfect their tactical moves um, I think if Watford go after Chelsea in the first 20 minutes um, they could you know really get something here Wow tell us a little bit about Ducouré who's been such a star for the Hornets so far Jules It's a great story considering they, they couldn't be bothered with him when they bought him from Rennes mm. Uh didn't play. I'm not even sure if he was on the on, on the Premier League squad list. Uh, they did the same with Jajeje as well, who poor poor kid is still not on the Premier League uh, <laughs> squad list either. But you know he had. I think the career had a good end of last season. Uh, but it's really Marco Silva who ad- identified him as like yeah that's that's the guy the sort of box to box really powerful but very also good technically. That could that could be a key player for me in you know in that role centrally and him cleverly Shaloba whether they were the three of them or just mm-hmm. two of them um, you know are quite complementary I think and and Ducouré has been has been very important for them. All right, and the other. But he was always good in France. I just don't understand why they bought him and never played him. It, it made no stuff. sense. He had a bit of an injury, but even even when he came back, it was it was really hard for he, he had a really tough time there first. All right, what are the other stars of the early? fixtures for the Hornets has been Richarlison, who uh, won't be facing action over his, air quotes, dive against Arsenal. On, on the subject of Cajones, which, of course, that was Troy Deeney's comment about the Gunners, uh, Born Aga says, can you compose, there's <laughs> a bit of an opportunity for banter, James, a Cajones 11. <laughs> Cajones 11, manager? Well, could it be player manager? Yeah. OK, well, one of Simeone and Keane. Which? Simeone is the manager Keane. You could have one as head coach and, and Keane be assistant as he is to All right, yeah, yeah, that'll do. I think Keane as a manager is just Cajones, isn't he? Yeah. Whereas Simeone is actually a good yeah, manager. Yeah, All right. Uh, who else Would you got? say that to his face, Michael? No. <laughs> <laughs> Nor his Cajones, no. I'd have Alan Ball in there. That mm-hmm. works, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Or is that not what we're doing? <laughs> well, Jules, Jules wanted another Jules, didn't you? Yeah, Julian Dix, I thought. Family Jules. Oh, poor right. Jules. Paul uh, no, Ju- <laughs> oh, stop, producer Ben. This is going in the wrong. Julian Dix uh, as well. Could yeah. be there. Van Hal. Yeah, with yep. his yeah. golden... Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that's not what really Bjorn Aga was after. But you want hard men, and we all know who they are. Paolo Montero. Um, Duncan Ferguson. Yeah, Bergkamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was. Of course he, he was. Yeah, edge. vicious, a bit vicious. Yeah, yeah vicious. you need vicious players. Not in the air, though. No. <laughs> Didn't like that. <laughs> Raymond Dominic. Who, what? Raymond Dominic, who was wearing a moustache when he was playing, yes. was one of the nastiest players I've ever seen. Oh, I was too young. I didn't see him play, but... Right. That people, the recollection of people who played against yes. him, saying that basically he was coming on the pitch to break people's legs and everything. He was a wow. defender. He was not good at all with the ball. It's probably why he's not such a good manager. Um, but he was just there to tackle and break people's legs. Basically. Right. You'd want Rina Gattuso in there, would you? Yeah. Schumacher yeah. in goal. Yeah. yeah. Schumacher in goal. Definitely. Van Bommel, arguably. Graham Suness. Oh. Nigel Seething menace of Graham Suness. Yeah. Surely the most compelling watch, not just on. Sports football, but anywhere on television. That look when he, he lowers his gaze and then raises it to the interviewer. Or when he, he runs onto the pitch after an Istanbul yes. derby with yeah. a Galatasaray flag. He, he was on the radio this morning, Sunes, plugging his new book. And oh. he was asked why English clubs haven't been very good in Europe over the last 10 years. And he said, at the end of the day, they just haven't been good enough. Which I think is unquestionable. Right. <laughs> well, results certainly <laughs> right, amount. OK. But who would we have as strikers then? We said Berkham, but that's a bit... Ferguson. Duncan Ferguson. Yeah, Duncan Ferguson, I guess. Yeah, Costa. 
Yeah. Yeah, Costa, yeah. Although, to be fair, I want, he flattered to deceive, really, a little bit in the aggression stakes. It was more about drawing the aggression than then acting up. Um, True. Possibly. I don't know. Well, you know Zinedine Zidane had Zidane with 14 red cards in his career, which Oof. for a number 10 is oui. a lot. OK, well, anyway, you can have fun with that, listeners, if you want or not. We're going to move on because there's lots of proper things to discuss. And right after this, we're going to be talking about lots of other things, including the Neapolitan sides and what happened to Craig Shakespeare at Leicester. Gentlemen, are you feeling a bit crap? Well, you're not alone. Everyone does at some point. But the thing people don't realise is just how common it is in chaps like you and me. Last year, 76% of all the suicides in Britain were male. That's 4,287 men, a figure not much smaller than the average League 2 attendance last season. On average, 12 men take their own life every single day, meaning that the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. There's still a strong social stigma around depression and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and seeking help when they need it. That's why we at the Totally Football Shows are working with Calm. They're the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight, they provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website and a free magazine packed with the kind of information you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough time, as well as some cracking stuff on comedy, bands, film and, of course, football too. So if you are feeling crap, find Calm at thecalmzone.net for support and some straight-up manspiration. Of course, loads of other Champions League news and Man City with the with the win in a pretty interesting game against Napoli. But let's just park all that highfalutin continental stuff for a second or two and talk about some honest-to-goodness English football and Leicester firing Craig Shakespeare. That's the city, city chairman, Vishay Shivadhanaprava, giving Craig his... Uh, <laughs> really good, that. Yeah, there's no reason for mentioning it, apart, apart from, from just saying his name. Uh, yeah, letting him go off to... After six games without a win, they're in the bottom three. Of course, Creepy Cook says, why did Leicester sack Shakespeare after the international break and not have anyone lined up? What have they been doing for two weeks? Louis Voce says, or might be Voce, thoughts on Shakespeare sacking in general and the management of Leicester City? And he throws into the mix here the poor player recruitment since the Premier League win and, of course, that Adrian Silva <laughs> Farrago. Why now for... For uh, what was so bad? Was it so bad the performance against West Brom? No, it wasn't bad. I think Leicester were the better team. They missed a couple of chances, which Shakespeare can't be faulted for that. And even the goal they conceded was just a really good free kick from thirty yards, which they you know couldn't couldn't have done anything about. So yeah, the timing is a little bit strange. I, I must admit, I thought Shakespeare had done quite a good job at first. Well, he steadied the ship very well. Mm. And I thought well, first, first co- five games. Yeah, first couple of games this season they were okay as well. Um, it, and the, the it, teams they face as well, Michael: Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool. Yeah, um, but thing is, they do have quite a good squad still, and they're in the bottom three. Um, so, uh, not sure it's harsh, but the, the timing is a little bit strange. Uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Adrian Silva mm. um, saga, but uh, some of the other signings that they made: um, Kelechi, Ibora. They had injuries in pre-season, mm. and we're always kind of behind the eight ball in that sense so he hasn't really been able to kind of utilise them and you just wonder with Leicester now when Ranieri was sacked it was always a case of there was this story that was put out that he didn't really do anything but and I'm sure that yeah Shakespeare and Steve Walsh um, I thought the story was he did too much Ranieri that he he jigged with the winning formula 
against the advice. Well, he of, began to tinker, but yeah. the, 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 oh, when it was going well, when it was just, going well, yeah. he was just hands off. Hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, at the time there was this kind of case that oh yeah, Shakespeare and Walsh made him look good, but I think he also made them look very, very good. Right. Um, you look at what the Ranieri, the, the kind of job he's doing with uh, with Nantes. Let's like, get a Ranieri update Nantes. from Julian Laurent. <laughs> yeah. What's the situation at Nantes? It's still great. They drew one all away at Bordeaux with the same recipe that they've done all season, being very solid at the back, although they conceded one goal this time, it was a one-all draw, and very clinical and efficient up front, and mm-hmm. he's still locking the door of the, the house. house. Still locked. <laughs> Decoration. Still locked. Not yet. Not yeah. yet. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's terrific for Claudio. Uh, he's not, I don't think, on the shortlist for a return to the King Power Stadium. Who is being considered? Sean Dyche. Is he? Yeah, but I think they'd have to pay two and a half million pounds to get him out of the contract that he signed with Burnley. Um, I'm not entirely sure whether he would yeah. leave Burnley for Leicester at this moment in time. Um, there are obviously, some other big names have been mentioned, including Carlo Ancelotti. Right. Because <laughs> Ancelotti gets linked with every job. Um, but OK, the favourite apparently is Chris Coleman. Big Sam's also in that particular mix. And Roberto Mancini, who had that brief spell with the Foxes way... When was that? Like 2002? Yeah. Yeah, came out retirement. And forever after, spoke glowingly. Yeah. Top uh, of the table with Zenit, though. Yeah, yeah, but Leicester. He, when, I, <laughs> when I saw him after that, and he called me Midok. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So wow. he's really, you know, he's got... He's, he's Leicester through and through now. Yeah, sure. I think this has got Sean Dyche's name written all over it, personally. Yeah. I think if he wants to make a step up from Burnley, and I think it is a step up, you look at the... the quality of the not squad. Not right now, it's not. Well, okay, not in terms of the league table, but Leicester have got a much better squad than Burnley. Just, just wait for Koeman to get they, they got Surely. But the thing is, he doesn't... Dyche is a kind of defensive manager who likes playing on the counter-attack, which is what Leicester have done sporadically very well over the last two years. Everton have got completely the wrong squad for mm. Dyche. They've no got pace. a squad overloaded with playmakers. They haven't got any pace. They're not particularly good defensively. Mm. I, I can't really see why Everton would take a chance on Dyche considering so far he hasn't done anything to think that he can play that kind of technical football that will suit the players at their disposal. It's a fine point you made, but what about Nigel Pearson who's, of course, within the Shivadana Prava network at the moment because he's, he's working for them uh, with their Belgian second division side. Is it Leuven? Is that Leuven, yeah. Leuven. He's getting some sure, Leuven. That's a job, job, job for Jürgi Leuven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, will he be leaving his Leuven behind it? I don't know. <laughs> he's lost but that Leuven feeling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Surely not. They can't bring Nigel Pearson yeah, back. They'd it have to have no their heads in the sand. Whatsoever. It makes no sense. <laughs> it's no sense. Uh, ooh, interesting side note. Shakespeare's last game was against West Brom. West Brom. Yeah. It's the curse of the Baggies again. Are again. You, yeah, are you yeah. across this? Mick McCarthy sacked by Wolves after losing 5-1 at home to the Baggies. AVB and Di Matteo both given their P45s by Chelsea after defeats at the Hawthorns. Mancini was sacked by Man City after a West Brom game. Paolo Di Canio at Sunderland, same story as the Baggies, his final game. Same for Chris Hutton. Even Sir Alex Ferguson, his final game was against West Brom. Mourinho now as well. Did you say Mourinho? I didn't say Mourinho. Oh, no, that was Leicester. 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 Oh, we're in an eerie kind of... Full circle. All right, uh, Leicester are going to be at who, Swansea. Who do West Brom play, play next weekend? Southampton. Is it Southampton? Oh, yeah, Southampton oh, yeah, on Saturday. Oh, of course. It's a late game on Saturday. Pellegrino. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what? It's been so bad. <laughs> you think he could be next? <laughs> yeah, the, the West Brom curse. It's very interesting, Jules. What do you think is going to happen at Swansea Saturday afternoon when Leicester visit? 
Will they it's get that new manager Michael bounce? Appleton. Well, it's, it's obviously the interim manager mm. who will take charge of... Is it Michael Appleton? The, yes. Oh, OK. It is, yeah. Um, and, and it, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if they go there and win. And Swansea haven't been that great. Uh, this is obviously still struggling, despite winning last weekend. Uh, and, and I don't know, it seems that changing managers clearly worked for them. We saw that last season, so yeah. maybe it's going to work again. I don't think Swansea's been that bad at home. Are they not quite, quite uh, strong, compact? They don't create enough chances, yeah. Swansea. Yeah. Um, and Tammy Abraham has got four goals, I think. Four of saying. their five goals. But he's a real poacher. I mean, he really needs it laid on a plate, kind of six yards from the goal. Mm. Um, they Poached don't really have any creativity, having lost um, Sigurdsson. Sigurd, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good. Right. Hey, Champions League, in which Man City took on Napoli. A lot of excitement ahead of this one. Michael, I know you were drooling, literally saliva <laughs> running down your chin ahead of kickoff. Did it live up to your expectations? The first half hour is as good as I've seen an English team play in the Champions League for some time. Mm. Uh, City was just fantastic, just the speed that they passed the ball. They were dragging Napoli all around the pitch. You had Delph coming inside and Silva going on the overlap. And Napoli, who, you know, we all know a really good team. Just couldn't live with them in central midfield. And, and really, City could have been 4-0 up after about 25 minutes. De Bruyne hit the bar. They had one cleared off the line. Um, I think the only slight concern from City will be that after half hour, the tempo really did drop. Yeah, so and what happened? Because at the start, as you say, it looked like it was going to be another 7-something. Yeah, it was a strange one. And also because they kind of switched off in a kind of different way against Stoke, where they were brilliant for the first half hour and then conceded before half-time, conceded just after half-time. I felt like it was... The first penalty that Napoli got was kind of out mm. of nothing. It was an unnecessary challenge from Walker. And it felt like that just gave Napoli a little bit of belief and they moved into the game because even in the build-up to winning that penalty, Napoli hadn't really done anything. It was yeah. the first time they'd had an attack. Um, but it's slightly concerning from City that they only won 2-1, having been out of this world. They could easily have drawn this game. So Dries Merton steps up and he didn't look happy at all taking that one in, perhaps because he knew... The record of Man City goalkeepers against penalties in the Champions League. Uh, Man City goalkeepers had saved the previous five penalties they'd faced, three from Hart, two from Willy Caballero, and then Edison made it six penalties saved in the Champions League in a row by Man City keepers. Extraordinary. Are you saying they need to play for penalties in order to win this competition, Jimbo? Well, <laughs> it's, that's it's just something an incredible that, that won't phase them, will it? It was a really bad pen. By it me. was a bad it pen. Really, but really I bad thought pen. what was, and Sally picked up on this after the game, was that uh, Michael's right, I think, to say that uh, when... Napoli got that penalty, it did completely change the attitude of, of Napoli and it sparked them. But you wouldn't necessarily expect that after missing mm. that penalty. Um, and all of a sudden, they seem to, to really get going, start playing their own game again. Was the key difference not so much the penalty, the um, departure of Insigne? Yeah, counterintuitively it was. He went off because he had a knock, but um, Sadi replaced him to begin with, with with Alan and brought Alan into midfield. And Alan just seemed to give them a, a, a sense of urgency um, because I think there was a, an inertia about, uh, about Napoli up until that point. And uh, all of a sudden they started to look like Napoli again. They were able to um, play in their kind of one and two touch combinations. I thought Goulam had a, had a very good game. And... Yeah, I think it's it's actually one of those games that really oddly, um, looking at those those first twenty five minutes, where City kind of reminded me of of when Barca went to play Arsenal at the Emirates when Ibra was there, and for twenty minutes they they played out of this world. It was like they were playing another sport. Um, 
And so, for, yeah, for Napoli to get back into that game is something that they actually will end up drawing confidence from. Mm. I think every, everything in Serie A will be easy for them <laughs> after that game. Well, of course, they've got the return coming up in two weeks' time at the San Paolo. Mm. Um, that penalty sequence, of course, broken by Amadou Diawara. Quite a story he's got. Yeah, because uh, until uh, a couple of years ago, um, when Bologna found him, he was playing um, sort of non-league football, really, in, in, in San Marino. Was um, he an electrician? No. Um, Postman? No, because he's, he was very young, Jimbo. Oh, right, okay. um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he comes from a from a refugee background. Yeah, definitely one of the... Uh, has a big future. Mm. We saw him play in the Champions League last year, play at the Bernabeu, and I think that's one of the reasons why Sally went with him last night, even though, despite scoring the penalty, um, some Italian commentators thought it would have been better to have Jorginho um, in that midfield, someone who's who's able to play quicker but with more precision um, than Diawara was, because I think in the first 25 minutes or so, his sort of pass completion rate was 65%. From 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 for the rest of the game, mm. it went up to kind of eighty five. But uh, I think maybe the, the, having the more experienced players in midfield for Napoli, Giorgino and, and Allen, I think were being saved for the weekend against um, when they play against Inter, mm. would perhaps have made a difference. But then again, I don't think anyone could have lived with City in in that first twenty five minutes. They are extraordinary when they play like that. Napoli taking on Inter, who are in second place right now in City. Are Napoli top? Two points, the gap between them. It's a huge game coming up. Of course, we had a weekend of three massive matches last weekend, all of which I think pretty much lived up to expectations. So high hopes for Napoli Inter. When's that taking place, James? Saturday night. Saturday night. All right. As for City, they're going to be hosting Burnley. Ed Quoth the Raven asks, after Palace won last weekend and scored goals and the sky then went a funny colour, which horseman <laughs> of the apocalypse will turn up this weekend and where? Could it be at the Etihad? As City host Burnley, why not, Jules? Come on, it's football. Believe. It's the Premier League. I still, I don't believe Burnley can live up with this kind of city team. Did you think that? They, did you think when they went to Stamford Bridge? How about when they visited Liverpool or Spurs? Still unbeaten, I think, on the road, are they not? Sean Dyche's incredible clarets. Yeah, but I don't. I still don't think. I mean, they scored late against Spurs to get a draw against Chelsea. That was a one of free game, the first one of the season. And I think, you know, and the Liverpool one, they played well, I guess, over there. But it was, again, you know, suffering and, and then being very clinical. I just don't think they can compete with City at the Etihad. It'd be interesting to see if, if Pep keeps the same team again, the same starting eleven uh, for the fourth game in a row, or if mm-hmm. he changes things. I think maybe the fact that Napoli came back in the game is because of the intensity. You know, it was the third game in a row that Pep had the same starting eleven, and maybe there's a point where you get tired mentally and physically by the intensity that he asks you to play with. Like I said, the intensity, not just physically, of all the running balls, so mentally. Mentally as well. Who have they got on the bench? Oh, Sergio Aguero. <laughs> For example, yeah. Wow, OK. Bernardo Silva could, you know, Gundogan. I think yeah. Gundogan could come right. in. So he might, he, I think he will change stuff. Michael, will your chin be glistening ahead of this? Another fascinating managerial matchup. Uh, this time Pep, not against Sarri, but Sean Dyche. So a clash of kind of footballing cultures, as you, if you will. I think this game is really interesting, actually, because Burnley have punched above their weight this season by doing something quite particular. And that is, if you look at the number of shots they've conceded and you look at the positions they've conceded the shots from, they're actually in quite good positions. But Burnley gets so many men back behind the goal, just within the width of the goalposts, Mm. and basically really good at blocking shots. So far this season, they've blocked, I think, about 20 more shots than any other team. 
That's interesting against City because what's been really notable in that game against Stoke, and to a certain extent in the game against Napoli, they're always selfless. They always want to play the like the extra pass back from wide positions, yeah. back into kind of the edge of the six-yard box. And I think if they try that too much against Burnley, they'll basically just be crowded out. So I think, I mean, City are obviously strong favourites, but I can imagine them getting really frustrated here if they kind of try and overplay and get the ball into the kind of the penalty bot situation. I'm feeling this. Saturday at <laughs> three o'clock. James, what do you think? <laughs> I think um, City will just about have too much, but I agree that this this is a real clash of styles. And um, I just thought, watching City uh, in possession in those first 25 minutes, I thought seeing Delft come into midfield again uh, gave uh, gave Napoli's midfield, I imagine would give Burnley's midfield quite... Uh, it's a difficult choice to make. It's, if you're a midfielder, do you go out and press Delft or Fernandinho and then, and then basically essentially risk leaving one of... Uh, De Bruyne and Silver spare behind you. And what I thought City have done really well all season is keep kind of one of Sane wide and uh, it just pulls the defence. It makes there's, there's so many holes in the defence that it creates that midfield runners get in mm. and, sc- and score goals. And I think um, Pep was complaining last year that they weren't clinical enough, they weren't decisive enough in the box. And you see, particularly again in that Stoke game, they're always looking for those, get to the byline and pull it back to six yards, where it's essentially a tap-in. And they seem to have been doing that so well um, this this season. I think City will have an incredible number of shots, but I'm not sure they'll score an incredible number of goals. They're not Liverpool, Michael. They'll have <laughs> they'll have 30 plus shots. Right. Well, that's interesting because Burnley so far this season have faced away from home more shots than any other team anywhere in Europe's top five divisions. And their goalkeepers always have the highest shot to save percentage, so be it, it Heaton or Pope. All right. Well, that's and they've only considered mm-hmm. six in eight games. Which what is do you incredible. think now? What do you think now, <laughs> I still Julia? Think, I still think, I still think yeah. that they could Come easily on, blow them apart. Priest. No, 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 no. I just think, I just think it's, they're going to play really deep, yeah. like Michael said. We, they're going to have 11 men behind the ball and Chris Wood on his own, up front waiting for long balls and play on the counter-attack. Tarkovsky's been very good for them. They've, they've defended really well all season. The blocks, I get that. I just think City are on another level. Clearly. And you Clearly can't they compete are, with that. City are, are great, but you, you just don't know, do you? Anyway, the other Manchester side, who are United, are going to be at Huddersfield at the same time. Mm, which to watch? Uh, Man United, of course, coming off that uh, nil-nil with Liverpool, and then they produced a rather dour or dour. I never know how to pronounce that. <laughs> one nil. Does it depend if you're Fica. Scottish or not. Okay, dour then. Yeah. So uh, one nil at Benfica, a Benfica team who just had five put past them by Basel. Man United managed just one, and that was largely thanks to poor poor Milis Villa, the eighteen-year-old in goal for. Benfica, who saw a cross coming in from who was it from? Rashford. Rashford. It's a free kick, not even a cross. Yeah. Oh, was it? I do beg your pardon. free kick. And collected it and then basically wandered back into his goal with it, yeah. poor chap. Exactly. Yeah. That was rotten. It was nice to see Lukaku going up and offering him his condolences at the end of the game. Yeah, countryman, obviously, they're both Belgian. That's mm. why Lukaku went over. They, they already had a bit of a hug at, before kickoff, you know, when the team shake hands, mm-hmm. which was nice from Lukaku uh, because obviously they've never played with each other. As Villa is a, is a wonder kid, has always been amazing uh, back in Belgium with Anderlecht and, and joined uh, Benfica in the summer. So he's all, always very highly rated, but he never played with Lukaku. So it was still very nice from Lukaku to have this kind of gestures. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, less positive for Man United is the fact that Rashford went off injured. Is there any kind of word yet on how long that might be for? Mourinho said yesterday, first he thought it was only a knock and then Rashford said that he felt something in his knee which could 
be far more serious than just having a dead leg or a knock or something yeah, like that. The so. injuries certainly mounting for uh, for Man United. Have they put their exciting swashbuckling ways away for the winter, or is it just coincidence this game coming after the Liverpool one? I think part of it's coincidence. Um, I think some of it is down to the yeah the tactics that he employed against uh, against Liverpool. But I, I think even with even if you look at the results uh, before that, yes, they were scoring lots and lots of goals, often four. But I think there was a trend in all of those games where they'd often get an early goal that would invite their opponents to come onto them. It really played into their hands, and even then they would score score goals late. So I wouldn't necessarily it was say it was swashbuckling. Mm. Yeah. I don't think United have got anywhere near enough credit for their defensive record so far this season. They've played eight. They've kept seven clean sheets. Do you know the last team to do that? Chelsea. Very good. Jose Mourinho's Chelsea in 2004-05. And he's just incredible at organising the defence. I know people don't like it, but uh, they've scored a, a decent amount of goals and they've conceded to only one player, actually. Chupo Moting got both of them. For oh, of course, yeah, in the Stoke game. But Mourinho said last night after the game of Benfica, he said people, people said that defending well is a crime. No one said it was a crime. People just said that with the players he has, he could also play a more expensive style of football and mm. still defend well. I don't think the two are exclusive, exactly. You know, and it's just—it's not a crime to defend well. No one, no one never said that. It wins you game and trophies. And right. France have won the World Cup with no forwards. So just by being really good defensively, and having Zinedine Zidane, but but still, so no one said that it was a crime. It's taking very personal now that people are criticizing him for just being so boring and defensive. I just think it could be more. It, the team could be better going forward than what they are just good at defending right How now. How excited are the French press at the prospect of Mourinho turning up at Paris Saint-Germain? Oh, we're ecstatic. Has that been picked <laughs> up? Has there been a lot about that or not? Yeah, of course. Of co- well, yeah, yeah, there was a bit. It was more the fact that it still sounded very disrespectful towards United, I think, and also PSG and Ronald yeah. Emery for him to open his big mouth like that. Uh, but the style would be an issue because the Qatari owners don't want boring football at PSG and he might say to them, OK, you can employ me and I will win you the Champions League by being boring. They might say, OK. But I think they would probably say, actually, that's not going to work. We want someone who, you know, will... And I, I mean, with the players in the PSG squad right now, you can't, you know, you can't ask them to But defend. they're certainly looking exciting at the moment, Paris Saint-Germain. A 4-0 against Anderlecht to continue their excellent Champions League campaign so far. They're, what, six points clear at the top of League 1? Yeah, and do they have a big game this weekend, perchance? They have a big game away at Marseille, Le Classic on Sunday night. Lee Davis says, "How does Julien see Le Classic going this weekend?" PSG have an, obviously an incredible record since since Ibra. I think they haven't lost since 2011 against Marseille, which is 13 games in a row, 14 games in a row, which makes me very happy, obviously. Uh, and Marseille under Rudi Garcia, patchy. Yeah, exactly. Up, some up, some down, some really good things, some. More difficult, I think, defensively. I did Rami, Eman Abdeno. So we're not sure. That's the thing. We're not sure he's still with Pamela Anderson because she's not coming to matches anymore at home. He didn't want to talk about her the other day. uh, Where she talked about him. How long have they been together, Joe? So we think since July when they met in Saint Tropez uh, because that's where I did Rami likes to spend his holidays, partying. And that's where Pamela has been going for the last 20 years every summer. So. It looks like that's where they met and clearly she couldn't resist the uh, the charm of, of Adil because, you know, intellectually, this is not really Adil Rami's best asset, if you see what I mean. I'm not sure if it's Pamela's anyway. Okay. Uh, the looks, I guess, maybe, yeah. for some. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she's starting turning up at 
Marseille's home matches and mm. they were seeing together in town and everything like that. But we haven't seen her for a few for a few days now. All so. right. We've, I mean, it'd be crazy if she misses this game. She can't miss this game. This is going to be, I mean, is there going to be a better atmosphere anywhere this weekend than no. at the Velodrome? No way. So no PSG fans, which well, I think, which is a bit of a, of a shame, uh, really. It's the kind of games where I think, you know, you want two sets of fans there and, mm. and PSG fans being... Obviously, really loud and, and massive fan, but it's, it's great. And Frank McCourt, the uh, the American billionaire who owns Marseille, who bought it almost a year ago to the day, uh, like we said, some good things and not so good things since taking over. It would be huge for for him and for the club if they, if they manage to beat PSG. And we've seen you know PSG against Anderlecht on Wednesday, where they were not the first, the best team in the first half. For example, they were dominated by Anderlecht, although they went two 0 up at half time, but they were still mm. under pressure. And Anderlecht had loads of chances. And then PSG punished them on the counter in the second half. But I think Marseille have a chance. All right, PSG in the Champions League this season. Three games, three wins, tw- 12 goals scored, none conceded. Just to underline your point about defending and scoring goals and not being mutually exclusive. Elsewhere in the Champions League, quick round-up, Michael, just before we move on. Barcelona, more brilliant from Messi as they got past Olympiacos. Bizarre uh, red card. Well, quite bizarre red card for Gerard Piquet. Second yellow for basically... Handball, doing a Thierry Henry, essentially, no? Yeah, it was a funny one. I, I couldn't work out how intentional it was. But because he yeah, celebrated... Yeah, exactly. Because he celebrated the goal, I think, mm. uh, send him off. The, the other interesting thing about that game was um, the identity of the linesman, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Conservative MP who missed Cox, the universal please. credit oh debate. Yeah. Absolutely. And he was the MP who um, ousted Angus Robertson from his seat. Was oh, that right? Yeah. In, in, in Moray? Yes, Great, that's great constituency knowledge. Hmm. Yeah. His Scottish yeah. politics is amazing. I mean, I was I was really surprised <laughs> last night. So, uh, less good news for other Spanish sides. We mentioned Atletico Madrid got held in that goalless draw by Carabag. Real were held at home by Spurs. Mentioned that as well. Sevilla collapsed uh, away at Spartak Moscow, five one. Quincy Promo is coming back into the Spartak side and getting a brace. Sasha Gurionov tweeting that the Spartak owner, Leonov Fedun, refuses to get carried away and calls tonight's victory the greatest in Spartak's history. There you go. It certainly was an impressive performance that from uh, Spartak Moscow. Juve beat Sporting Lisbon in Barcelona's group and Besiktas continued, cemented their dominance of Group G with a third win, uh, this time that was away at Monaco, wasn't it, Jules? It was indeed, 2-1 right. win. They're technically they the team who are in the strongest position of everyone because they've already qualified for the Europa League. Ah, really? The only team to have done that. And they're only six in the league as well. It's, it's really weird. It's they one of those really? where clearly, they yeah. Crikey. <laughs> With Barbo being sent off after coming on a half-time and being sent off in the 48th minute. Barbo, who's kind of their top scorer, isn't he? He, he's done really he's right well. He set, Tolchen, up, set up the goal, although he was offside on mm. the second. And they got a bit of luck against Monaco, but Monaco were, were dire. Yeah. Don't know what's going on there. Also, but. of course, Bayern in the PSG group, uh, continuing their resurgence under Jump Heinkers. They'd won 5-0 at the weekend. They beat Celtic 3-0. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I forgot something about PSG, actually. Oui? There's a, the club has set up a partnership with the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and they've, they've, they've done clothes with the PSG logo and the, the Rolling Stones logo with the mm. tongue and everything, and you can buy shirt and trainers and everything. As well as sorted snacks, of course. Yes. They have a range of sorted snacks. Oh, yeah. And the Rolling Stones, very kindly, yes. probably because, I don't know, PSG's plane must have broken down or there was some sort of strike, but they lend PSG their private uh, plane to go from Paris to Brussels on Tuesday to go and play at Nonderlake. So 
PSG flew in the Rolling Stones plane, which is pretty cool. I mean, the Boeing that is the private Boeing for, for the Rolling Stones tour, who are in Paris having three gigs this week and next week. Uh, I thought... Having three kids, you know. No, but I thought it gave them a lot of satisfaction. Oh. Oh. Am, I, am I right in saying, were PSG founded in 1970? Am I right in saying oh, that? Oh, please, not you, Coxie, not really. No, but so, was... the, so the Rolling Stones' best material came out before PSG were invented. <laughs> oh, right. my God. And Yup Hunkers, if he were to play in Rolling Stones, would be the youngest member of the band. Possibly not, but it's about that, isn't it? He's about 72. <laughs> 72 is, yeah. Yeah, that means it's crazy, isn't it? All right, well, uh, we've got to move on. There's a lot still to talk about. If you're willing to stick with us a little bit longer, we've got Carrie Dunn on the extraordinary situation at the FA uh, and uh, lots of other exciting things to talk about. Everton Arsenal, bit of that, and, of course, Newcastle, all coming up. Listeners, if you want your face to be as smooth as the sounds here at our new home, Jazz FM, then you need to noodle on to cornerstone.co.uk pronto. Cornerstone, take all the hassle out of shaving. Let them know how often you defuzz and sign up to one of their plans and you'll never have to worry about running out of blades ever again. They'll deliver them right to your door. To get you started, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and you'll receive a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades for just £4. That's cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Nice. Kieran Miles writes in and says, Who is better looking in real life, Julien Laurent or Raphael Honigstein? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? It really depends <laughs> what you like. I like to compare Julien and Rafa to the two... Um, very fetching young men in narcos, yeah? Rafa would take, obviously, the role of the American and you would be the local Latin... No, oh, I've got it the wrong way around, around haven't I? Yeah, Pena. Oh, is Murphy. It was a joke, James. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to come and get a bit of Julien... Please come, yeah. If you'd like to eyeball Laurent uh, en vive, uh, then... <laughs> is that right? <laughs> en vive? Live, anyway. Uh, you can come and see us at uh, the Glee Club. On direct. We. No? Oui. Uh, Glee Club, Wednesday, 8th of November. Producer Ben's going to be there. Uh, Ian McIntosh. James Horncastle, you as well. Oh, am I? And me. Anyway, this is the start of our Totally Football, Totally Live, Totally World Tour, apparently, in Birmingham, of course. Glee.co.uk is the place to get tickets, but hurry. Maybe the Stones Are we will flying? lend us yeah. their flight. Are we going to fly with the Rolling Stones uh, plane? I don't know. I doubt it. If you were listening on Monday, you'll have heard us announce that comedy's Kevin Bridges will be joining us for our show in London, meantime, at the O2 Centre, the Indigo bit, on the 29th of November. Tickets for that are going very quickly. That's theo2.co.uk forward slash events. Lots of chances to come and enjoy a live encounter with your friends at the Totally Football Show. Uh, other exciting texts this week... What's the best football book ever, asked Thomas Burkham. I'm voting for Tim Parks' A Season with Verona. I can only assume, Thomas, you've never read The Mixer <laughs> by Michael Cox. Michael joins us today on the Totally Football Show. Are there any other good books or just The Mixer? That one's great. Uh, a, a Brilliant Orange by David Wynn is a oh, fantastic yeah. book mm. about Dutch football. Um, right. If you want really in-depth, a book called The Ball is Round by David Goldblatt, which okay. is... I think I'm right in saying it's about 900 pages. It's an extraordinary book, uh, but it's very good. And I guess the classic would be um, one of our guests we had on recently, Simon Cooper, 
with uh, football against the enemy, right. which is still a fantastic route. Certainly is. I, I, we, we also had a question from Patrick in Boston saying, I'm looking to build up my football library. Any other titles you'd shout out there? He says, I've got Das Reboot for Germany, Fear and Loathing in La Liga on Spain, Sidlow's great work there. Angels with Dirty Faces from Jonathan uh, Wilson on Argentina. <coughs> Calcio, I would suggest, is still the preeminent book on Italian football by John Foote. Uh, Paddy Anthony's book is very good. Is it? Okay. Uh, what's it called? Forts Italy or something like that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think that's been out for a while. Um, there's The Miracle of Castel di Sangro. Oh, of course. Um, but yeah. Joe McGuinness, was it? Joe McGuinness. Joe McGuinness. What an extraordinary yeah, story that is. And anything on French football? Has anyone actually written a book about French I football? I did on the, uh, the Secret History of the French National Team. Voila! Yeah. Jules. What's that called? The Secret History <laughs> of the French National Team. Bingo. Is that in English? No. Let's get it in English. It doesn't count. <laughs> of course it does count. It's just like for you to practice your French, all three of you. Do ladies. you need a translator? <laughs> oh, anyway, my God. do you know what? We've been, we, we haven't got that much time left. Oh, no. No. And uh, there's lots to talk about. The next thing definitely we need to address is the remarkable business with the English women's football team and the FA's remarkable mess that they've made of investigating the complaints of racial remarks made to two players, Enia Luca and Drew Spence. Uh, basically, the FA have now issued a full apology to them. After a third inquiry, the previous ones have been uh, labelled a sham by the PFA, amongst other peoples. Uh, beyond the, 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 the racial comments, there were also all sorts of other, extraordinary other details coming out. For example, a black actress uh, brought into role-play a little scene about how selfish behaviour disrupts a group. This was after Luco had been dropped after she'd raised um, complaints about Mark Sampson's comments to her. And also the fact that the FA withheld the second part of a payment they promised to make her. She claims that uh, they said they would only release the funds if she wrote a statement confirming that the FA is not institutionally racist. The FA, going in front of a parliamentary committee on Wednesday... Uh, if you've not been following this story, it is a, a mind-boggling one in this day and age to hear some of the stuff that's come out. But somebody who has been across this right through is the writer and broadcaster Carrie Dunn, who joins us again now. Hi, Carrie. Hello. Hi. How, how are you? Um, I'm OK. Yesterday was very strange. Very strange day. Have you ever seen anything like that before? You had the what chief executive of the FA uh, in front of a parliamentary committee basically confirming that the FA had been trying to cover up a, a, a case of racist comments? I have seen something like it, yes, but it was on the thick of it, and that was supposed to be fictional comedy. And it was just yeah, it was just almost unbelievable if, if you hadn't kind of expected it going into, the, into that. I mean, I said that I thought if the committee asked the right questions, I thought it would be a fairly shambolic afternoon, and, and so it proved. What do you think happens next for the for the people involved in this? I can't say the word that I would like, but there's this whole mess. Uh, for a start, what, what next for Enia Luko? Well, I've just seen that Mo Marley, who's the interim England manager, has said that Aluko, um it will be considered for selection. So that's interesting. So she said that she she might get an England recall. She's not in the squad for the next match, which is uh, which is this weekend. But, uh, yeah, in the future, I mean, perhaps Aluko is going to resume her international career, which I guess would be what she wanted. I know that Aluko has also asked for apologies from various people uh, who accused her of uh, making up the evidence that was obviously presented yesterday. But, uh, yeah, so Aluko, yeah, obviously she's been vindicated. But in terms of the FA hierarchy, I've got no idea what's going to happen there because 
surely there's going to have to be some repercussions after what was said yesterday. Yeah, and it really displayed the way that this goes way beyond the specific issue of, of the, the women's national team. Absolutely, and I think that's really important. It's not just about this one isolated incident. It's not just about any Aluko. It's not just about Mark Sampson. It's about the entire hierarchy, the way that these grievances were handled, the way they were investigated. And the, even before that, I mean, in terms of Mark Sampson's appointment and the way that HR dealt with uh, files that were handed over to them and what well, they didn't deal with files that were handed over to them and the way that the chief executive clearly wasn't briefed on some you know, important personnel issues. So this is clearly um, an FA problem that goes much, much deeper than this one single incident. Mm. It's been a really positive time, this, though, for the women's national team. It's a shame that the majority of the, of the coverage of late has had to be about a story like this. Yeah, it's really sad. After having you know a good summer at the Euros, perhaps not as good as they would have hoped, and um, they started World Cup qualification so well, so strongly. It's been the uh, start of the Women's Super League season, and yeah, obviously this is dominating the headlines. But I guess ultimately, if things get sorted out and cleared up, I am an optimist on these things, then obviously that's a good thing and perhaps we can get back to talking about football at some point soon. Hopefully. To what extent, though, is there the risk that this is going to leave divisions within the squad? I think that is a bit of a risk. I mean, I remember during the during the last match and they, the official England account tweeted that picture of the girls celebrating the goal when it was like together with the caption. And it was just like, that seemed to be something that was a little bit pointed. Mm. Um, I would imagine that there are probably still some divisions in terms of the girls who spoke up and the ones that didn't. Um, hopefully that can all be resolved. There's going to be a clean clean slate in terms of having a new manager. If Mo Marley can breach these uh, these divisions and bring Aluka back into the squad where she should, you know, theoretically be based in mind on her goal scoring ability, then hopefully we can have a United England squad and actually look towards you know success in the World Cup. Well, hopefully so. Carrie, you're going to be joining us next week. I am. I'm very Ooh. excited. All right, me, me and all. Well, I have a super time in the meanwhile. I look forward to seeing you then. Likewise, take care. Have you been following the Under-17 World Cup, Michael? Yes. No. Ah, Julian, you have? Yeah, France have beaten Spain on penalties to qualify for the semi-final. How about that? England knocked out Japan on penalties to put their place in the quarterfinals. They're going to be taking on the United States. Do you know what's really exciting yeah, about that? Yeah, of course, that? I know what you're going to say. Come on, then. Timothy Weah scored a hat-trick in the... Uh, in the quarterfinals, I believe. Yeah, did you see the, the, the second goal? I told you before, didn't I? Give me some credit. Yeah, you that did, He was very good. He obviously plays at PSG, mm. where they've given him his first professional contract. But how Im- imagine, just imagine his dad, who is in the middle of a, a presidential election. Is it still not confirmed? In, that? in Liberia, yeah. he's in the second round. Okay. To be elected on his third attempt... Uh, Liberian president and like a few days later his son winning the under 17 World Cup with, with the US will be a pretty special special week for the Weah family <laughs> have you seen the have you seen the goals James no I haven't I'm seek good. him out yeah. so he scores a hat trick this is in a 5-0 win against Paraguay to put the USA through to the, the quarterfinals the second one he, he collects the ball Jules can tell you? me inside his own half no, no. <laughs> he's just so strong isn't it and so quick on the ball he plays He's just on the corner of the area, basically, and he, he curls it way into the far, far top corner. Technically, his goal. He's got everything. I mean, he's only seventeen. Obviously, he's still very young, but he is so strong physically, so good on the ball. His movement is great. He sounds like a very clever kid. Um, born in New York, hence why he plays for the for the US. Um, mm. And that, not um, Liberia or France. But that yeah. clash with England's coming up. 
on Tuesday. But you know the thing about England yes. is they lost their best player, Sancho, who oh, yeah. you know, went from City to Borussia Dortmund in the summer and then started the first two group matches, star, started, played very well, scored. And then Dortmund said, hang on, we need him again. So bring him, brought him back to Germany. I think if you let one of your players go to right. whatever tournament, they have to stay until the end. Absolutely. Speaking of going to tournaments, the World Cup playoffs uh, were announced on... When was that? Tuesday. Was that Tuesday? Yeah. And uh, Northern Ireland taking on Switzerland. The interesting position for Switzerland, because they were almost like the team that led the championship the whole season, but then right at the end, a poor run of results drops them into the playoffs, and then they, they... Because they were never supposed to be there, it just all goes wrong for them. At least, I guess, that's what Northern Ireland are hoping. But they're a strong side, aren't they, Switzerland? They are, but I think it's a decent draw for Northern Ireland. Okay. I don't think either them or the Republic will be at all disappointed. Republic, who are taking on Denmark, who looks strong. Ericsson, uh, Eredivisie goal machine, Nikolai Jorgensen, assuming he's fit. Kasper Schmeichel between the posts. Andres Christensen and there's someone Chiar uh, in, in front of him. And I think Denmark are a really strong side, actually. That's who Republic of Ireland are facing. Croatia get Greece and Italy take on Sweden. Italy with all sorts of problems with Giampiero Ventura. Jules, what do you make of Sweden who beat France, of course, earlier this year? Not much. That's why I'm a bit more positive than James is. James is a bit worried. Probably more because Ventura has been dreadful than anything else. I I saw Sweden twice and, and apart from Emil Forsberg, who is a wonderful player, I give him that, the rest, I was really not impressed. Oh. Really not impressed. And yes, they're solid and they're well organised and they're good in the air and, and all that. But they were really lucky to beat France more. It was more France's mistakes, both by the tactical choices that Deschamps made and by Lloris Blunder at the end, than Sweden really winning it. And again, apart from Forsberg, fantastic talent, the rest, I, I, it shouldn't be a problem for Italy. And yet? If, if yeah, with a big if. James? <laughs> I think Italy can beat themselves. Um, so, you know, I, I, I look at um, the only draw I would have thought would be a good one for Italy was Greece, because um, Greece quite lucky to qualify, really. Um, but, yeah, they just don't seem to have an identity on the Ventura. All the confidence that they built up um, at the Euros and the Conte seems to have dissipated. Um, and uh, Conte was very successful in making Italy greater than the sum of their parts, and they seem less than that on mm. the Ventura. Okay. Well, Let's just finish off then with a quick word or two on one or two of the other Premier League fixtures that are coming up this weekend. Stoke taking on Bournemouth Saints. You mentioned this up against West Brom. As a Friday night match, which features West Ham against Brighton. They're both on eight points at the moment. Last time these two teams met actually was in the Championship and it was 6-0 to the Hammers. Andy Carroll on a one-game ban in that fixture. Newcastle, meantime, are going to be taking on the team that stunned the world of football just last weekend, Crystal Palace. Can can Palace win again? Now that Zaha's back in the side? Well, I think uh, Roy Hodgson was saying he feels that he's uh, ahead of schedule now okay. um, with uh, with this Palace side. Insofar as that, I think, you know, when he was at, um, at Fulham, he needed a bit more time to work on, on things in the training ground. I think they've sort of bought in quite early. Okay, they had some disappointing results to start with, but um, yeah, they look a completely different team as I think many people expected they would once Zaha returned. Mm, Fair enough. Newcastle very much in the shop window after Mike Ashley confirmed he is putting the club up for sale. The other game this weekend is the early one on Sunday and it is Everton against Arsenal. This is going to be... Well, it looks a really interesting fixture. Both teams involved in Europa League action on Thursday this evening. Everton... Who've made 
a terrible start to the European campaign are at home to Lyon, while Arsenal go to Red Star Belgrade. Oof. What's going to happen when they face each other at Goodison? Ronald Koeman... In a, in a delicate position, he's, he's talking about the backing of the board this week, which is quite worrying, particularly since the board aren't talking about the backing of the board. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's, he's made up a vote of confidence. He's made well, up he, a dreaded he, vote of confidence. He's, he's Maybe he wants it, to leave. But they haven't confirmed. <laughs> OK. OK. Um, they won this match last season 2-1 and, and Arsenal without a raft of players, beaten, of course, at Watford last weekend. Do you see the things improving? What, what kind of hope do you give Arsenal, Jules, at Goodison? Yeah, no, I, th- I think Everton have been worse than Arsenal this season, even at home, so apart from the Man City game, maybe. But for the rest, if they keep playing the way they play, like Coxie said, they've got no pace, apart from Calvert-Lewin, who, despite all his talent, is still very young and very inexperienced, and... Uh, maybe not up for this kind of game like, as in carrying the whole team by himself the poor kid uh, for the rest I think defensively they're shambles and, and it'd be interesting score goals. and they yeah. don't yeah, Lukaku don't score scored enough. two more goals than Everton this season wow but the only counterpoint to that is no one in Premier League history has scored against Arsenal more times than one Wayne Rooney is that right that Michael? is a fact okay well, that sets up as quite an exciting game then and one of the many that we'll be reviewing when we return on Monday with another edition of the Totally Football Show. Not one that's going to be featuring Julian Laurent, James Horncastle or Michael Cox. Sadly, although we'll see, I think, in a week's time. Good. Have a lovely weekend, yes, and we'll catch up with you after. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com.